Today is July 8th, 2017, and this is JC's Podcast. Born on invisible, just metaphysical facts, all the visitors to shit says it is a bull and pop, culture quizzical, down with the mystical, failed all my testicles, slapped them with the battery, and purchased the battery, burned down the battery, that's curiosity, skimmed them in the gallery, I know the time is hard to spend, so waste Welcome to the podcast. Today's episode is going to be on rebuilding your mind. We're going to talk about why you need to rebuild your mind in the first place, and then if we have time, some of the methods of rebuilding. I'm going to let everybody introduce themselves. I'm JC, and we also have someone go first. <laughs> um, my name is Mars. And uh, this is Kevin. All right. So I'm from Georgia, United States. Kevin, you're in... NYC, uh, right? Yeah, New York, in the middle of everything. So, oh, I'm not everything, but just a crazy place. The cornerstone of civilization. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Seems like the opposite sometimes. And Mars, are you in? Uh, is it Canada? Yeah, I'm beaming down from Toronto. Excellent, eh? Great White North, eh? I'm an you- American expat, though. Does everyone make that joke all the time, eh? Uh, no, but I'm sure they'd be apologizing on behalf of everyone here. That's one of our uh, our signature traits is that we say sorry all the time. Sorry. I forgot you're Canadian. I forgive you. Uh, so you are a former expat. You already know how it goes in America, huh? Yeah, I grew up in the U.S. and I, uh, I live in Toronto now. <sighs> well... I don't think that's a bad idea, actually. No, no, not not in these days. So I think that brings us into kind of our our first real topic and why do we need to rebuild our mind in the first place? There's so much shit going on. I mean, we have we're a capitalistic society, and we're worshiping the almighty dollar. Mm-hmm. So I think that just kind of there's so much pull nowadays where we've been losing focus on kind of what it means to be human. I feel like that we've kind of lost touch with, I can't say our true purpose because I don't know what that is, but I, I don't feel like, you know, searching after for material possessions and, and wanting the latest gadget and, you know, doing all that is what we're supposed to be doing. Well, I, I'd love to add here that you know, some people do make that their prerogative, but it doesn't really lead them to happiness. And that's kind of why we're we're deciding to take a step back and do other things now, because you can easily get caught on that path of trying to, I guess, fill the void with material goods. But if it worked, you know, this would be a different podcast. Yeah, I mean, if it worked, then uh, I guess at one point you'd stop buying shit. Yeah, or or if it worked, we'd be talking about how we could get richer, you know. Yep, yep. Founded is the new rich. And and Kev, you're I mean, basically surrounded by that up in the city. Yeah, I mean, obviously like it sounds a little hypocritical to say you're not very materialistic being uh, you know, living in New York City, but for me it's kind of like 
practice of like discipline because I pass by like hundred of stores on my way to work every day because I walk to work. Um, it takes me like 30, 40 minutes. And like after passing all these stores all the time, you kind of get desensitized to even wanting any of those things anymore after, you know, being exposed to it all the time. So for me, it's kind of like a preventative measure actually. But I'm not sure if everyone would be able to be disciplined like that. Well, do you have any big parks in your neighborhood? Um, yeah, I live in the East Village, so we have like a pretty big park there. I bring my dog there all the time. And like that's really like where I only go at this point when I'm going outside is to like the parks. And, uh, you know, once in a while I'll just get my groceries somewhere else. But. Oh, that's a good thing, though. I think I'm falling a trap uh, into that trap. Is um, the health food stores, man? There's a, they always get you somehow. Like they always find like your weak spot. So that's the thing. I mean, there, there's even if you like try to practice, you know, exercising that that will to ignore it. I mean, we all have our weaknesses, and them or they or you know whatever term you want to put to it marketing is so good at exploiting that and just zeroing in on what it is that you know we think that we need and exploiting it to make us you know buy it or 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 want it or desire it and it's, it, it it's works. Go ahead. sorry go, go on well, i was just gonna say it, it's just it's such a strong pull and and you might not even be aware of it because it's um in a lot of cases affecting your subconscious Mm. It works on a um, on a really strong fear-based level. I remember when I was working in marketing, um, we were always trying to appeal to a fear of loss or fear of lack or fear of missing out uh, when we were selling things. And you know, I find that when I am personally in a place of like. Uh, of feeling that lack myself, I'm way more susceptible to, you know, wanting to buy more things or wanting to, uh, kind of fit in with everyone. And like, like, hopefully if I buy this product, I'll feel better about myself or my life will be better and validate myself. But when I'm having an amazing day or I'm, you know, I'm in a place of really just love based existence, it all goes away. Like I just don't feel the same urge. And it's really funny how, uh, how just, a difference, I guess, in my mood or my vibration or whatever you want to call it, uh, can affect how much money I spend or how drawn I am to, uh, to the culture that's surrounds me in the city here. I think that'd be a very interesting, uh, psychological experiment to conduct where you pull people as they exited the store and then see if there was any kind of correlation between the amount that they spent and how they rated their mood as they left. To see if there was an increase. Because I think that, I mean, there definitely is something to that, that, you know, when you feel good and you feel happy and you feel joy, you don't necessarily want anything because you don't feel like you need it. So, I mean, it's the same concept. You don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry because you're going to buy more. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of cognitive dissonance-based studies show that people end up buying things out of like impulse most of the time um that you made a good point with the grocery store too like that's the worst idea to go hungry because then you just want everything 
No, and I do it all the time. I mean, I'm so guilty of it. Because <laughs> it's like, well, by the time I'm, I'm, you know, I'm that hungry and, you know, there's either nothing to eat or I'm too lazy to cook it. So I was like, fuck it, I'll go to the store. And, you know, if I think about it, maybe grab a hamburger before I go so I'm not, you know, just buying everything off the shelf. But it's yeah. it's just so hard in, in, you know, our society to... I mean, you've got to have that discipline, like you said, Kev. You've got to exercise it, and it, it's a muscle. Or if you if you don't have the discipline, you could also. I mean, like discipline is one place. If I'm in a bad mood, I or not even a bad mood, but just like a a neutral mood, I need discipline. But if I'm in a fantastic mood, I don't actually need discipline at all because I'm coming from a mindset of abundance. Even if the abundance is just totally in my mind, the my relationship with the things around me completely changes. I'm less likely to, um, make myself, myself feel secure by surrounding myself with objects or, or food or whatever. Um, if I feel abundant on the inside. Well, I think this is a, a good segue into, um, the next kind of method of control that's exercised, which is, uh, religion or the church. Um, I don't consider myself atheist, but I would say I'm kind of open right now, but I definitely did go to church growing up and, and the guilt is, holy shit, it's so strong and it's such a, a motivational force for getting you to do what they want. I mean, at least in my opinion, uh, do y'all have like experience with religion that you'd like to talk about or, uh, growing up any experience with that? What about you, Kevin? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm Filipino. So like, my parents are super hardcore Catholic, which is just kind of like a. Actually, we're the only Asian nation in that is uh, officially Catholic, um, as uh, their main religion. So I grew up with really hardcore Catholic parents. Went to Catholic school until um, fifth grade, and you know I'd ask a lot of questions, and I, I'm thankful because like my teachers wouldn't like try to bullshit me or anything but i ask a lot of questions like i don't know um do pets go to heaven or what if my mom goes to hell can i really be in heaven and it's those <laughs> kinds of like crazy questions that like i would ask myself and uh i think that's been the guiding light for me in terms of sussing out what i vibe with because if i find contradictions in things i to me i can't like um knowingly follow it you know so that's my way out of like rebuilding my mind you just reminded me of uh uh you know i was raised catholic just for context but a moment i had with my uh, my cousin when she was about uh eight years old and she is sitting across the table from me and our grandparents are there, our whole family is there. And she looks at me because I think she knew at the time I was a teenager, she knew that I was starting to question the uh, Catholic beliefs. And, uh, and she says, Mars, how did God invent himself? And I just said, well, that's a very good question. And I think you should think about that. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, Asking the wrong one. person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the only thing I know about Catholicism is, uh, as the Simpsons put it, if you're happy and you know it, it's a sin. Oh, and, my gosh. And, you I know, mean, that's, I don't, I don't know much about it besides that. Well, it's so, it's so true. I remember, you know, the, like the feelings of Catholic guilt that people talk about, it's totally real. 
Um, but it's actually part of how I learned about limiting beliefs where uh, I would I would find myself flip-flopping from happiness to just extreme guilt and self-loathing. And I thought there was something wrong with me. Like, how come every time everything is going well for me, um, I have to, you know, kind of throw a wrench in it by being miserable. And then as I started learning about my own limiting beliefs, I started to realize that it was because I was programmed to believe that the things that made me happy were sinful. So... And to me, I mean, I just, if, if God is, is, you know, as great as religion makes him out to be, which I, I do believe that there is something out there greater, just to clarify, but if, if he is so omnipotent and all-knowing and loving, then why would he, you know, allow us to feel these, these things? I get that, you know, that there's free will and we have to make our own choice, but it just seems like, you know, if there comes a point where the suffering what what's the reason for suffering excuse me what's the reason for suffering um past a certain point but it's just it never jived with me it was always you know it just didn't make sense in the end yeah screw suffering yeah um you know the funny one thing that uh i was thinking about was the fact that the um this, this whole uh, punishment system that uh, Judeo-Christian type religions seem to espouse is um, kind of like based on the panopticon, you know? If somebody's watching you, uh, you can't act in a certain way. So in a way, it's kind of trapping your mind in that sort of thinking, too. And I think that's why they try to scare you with things like suffering and whatnot. Now, yeah. real quick, can you expand on the uh, panopticon? Because I'm not familiar. Yeah, so panopticon is a sort of conceptual type of building, um, or basically like a prison, right, where you have a central guard tower, and all the inmates are being watched, but they can't actually be um, reprimanded or anything because the central tower is supposed to only be a sort of symbolic thing that, like, Big Brother's watching, so you should behave. So people end up policing themselves in a panopticon. And that's kind of how I see uh, at least monotheistic religions um, tend to have this sort of control over their followers or whatnot um, by having them police themselves based on their own moral laws or what the what, you know, God's watching you. So you have to behave kind of thing. Um, no, they, you know. they did a study in uh, uh, behavioral psychology where they um I think it was they put a mirror in front of a bowl of candy on Halloween. And you know what happens when you're not sitting on the front porch and you just leave a bowl of candy out is you're going to get some kids who will just grab handfuls of candy and, and put it in their uh, their bags. Um, but by putting a mirror in front or sorry, a mirror behind the uh, the bowl so that people could look at themselves before doing so actually decreased uh, the amount of candy people took. That, that's really interesting. I think that might be just because we become so unaware of, of ourself, um, you know, through this, just as we go through life, uh, you know, the whole metaphor of, of being awake or being woke, you know, just kind of going through the motions, you might not necessarily examine your behaviors and the things that you're doing, um, which, and, and just before I forget, that meant you when you were talking about the panopticon, 
Kevin, I was just immediately, I, my thoughts went to Tolkien's uh, Tower of Sauron. And yes, I, I yeah. wonder if that's yeah. like some kind of metaphor or allegory that he was uh, trying to put in there. Um, but yeah, uh, so I think we can uh, move on to some of the different methods that we can kind of reprogram ourselves to get over these limiting beliefs. Um, Mars, I know that you are probably uh, more familiar with this topic than I am, so I'll let you take it, but identifying your limiting beliefs and some of the methods behind those. Uh, would you like to talk about that a little bit? Sure. I don't want to go too deep into it because I know um, I could talk about this for hours, so please uh, stop me if I you know, get this, this track, but... Um, essentially, uh, I didn't actually really know about limiting beliefs and how strong they were until I started doing a type of therapy called NET or neuroemotional technique. And it's basically, um, a type of therapy. What it looks like is similar to muscle testing. You know, you're using the body as a way around the conscious mind and it's really interesting, but hard to, hard to explain in a, a short couple of sentences. But anyway, I started doing this NET uh, therapy. And what I found was these issues that I had that I thought were completely physical, like, I thought maybe I had chronic fatigue or something, you know, I couldn't uh, look after myself or take care of myself. And I remember feeling like, like I was cleaning my room one night. And I remember feeling like the objects I was picking up were 50 pounds each, it just felt everything was so heavy. And then I would go into um, my NET practitioner and she would test my subconscious mind on limiting beliefs around um, having a clean apartment, for example, or being happy or things that I thought I would obviously want, but somewhere deep down I was sabotaging myself. And it was really interesting because after one session, which would be anywhere from half an hour to an hour, I could then go home and this physiological experience of dragging myself through the motions of life just completely evaporated. And I became light as a feather. I was able to do all of my, you know, all of my chores, take care of myself. And it made me start to wonder, okay, what else in life is a limiting belief? So I started bringing other issues that were, I knew were psychological to her, including um, the myth we have around artists about how if you choose to be an artist, you're also choosing to be starving. So I brought that to her and lo and behold, she was able to locate a belief that I had that to be an artist, you had to suffer. And after that session, I remember even feeling euphoric in my body. I remember the bike ride home and the wind was in my hair and I just had this rush of like complete euphoria thinking, wow, life is truly beautiful. And it's because she was able to help me um, expose and heal from a really deep rooted belief that I had to suffer to be an artist. And I see it everywhere now where, you know, someone who seems to only attract drama in their lives or someone who just can't seem to get a leg up in their career or whatever it is. It's like a chronic, you know, uh, situation where they're blaming their environment. Oh, my environment is causing me this pain. My environment is causing me this pain. And then they, you know, if they have one transformational experience, um, either through a creative endeavor or through, 
a similar type of therapy or something, they end up going back into their life and have this external reality completely change because their, their internal beliefs have changed. So essentially what I learned from these experiences, which I still continue to do, I, I'm a huge NET advocate, um, is that whenever everything seems to be going wrong, rather than being frustrated with the outside world, I first look inward and say, okay, do I deeply believe that things are, are meant to be wrong? Like, is there something that I was programmed to believe either through the media that I was exposed to when I was a child or the religion that I grew up in that might be holding me back? And how am I reinforcing this? I mean, just hearing that there's, there's so much of that, that, uh, I think comes from, you know, the media and everything like the, the starving artists, uh, stereotype that you used. I mean, it, it's a stereotype because we are just hit with that idea through TV and television and movies. And you don't think of successful artists unless they've, you know, got their big break or whatever. That's, that's another one. You, you've got to get a big break, uh, before you're going to make it big and, and you, Another one could be the fact that you've got to make it big to be successful and be happy. And and be happy, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, just hearing that reminds me of uh, this morning I woke up and, uh, you know, I didn't get a whole lot of sleep. I, the cat woke me up and everything, and, and when I was uh, in the shower, I was just so in such a bad mood, just, you know, just because I knew that since I didn't get that much sleep that I was not going to have a good day today and... And I was, as I was sitting there and the water was hitting me, I was like, you know, I, I can choose to change this. I can choose to, to have a good day. I mean, it's, it's all in my mind. And, you know, it, I feel, I felt better just like instantaneously. Like, you know, I don't, I don't have to feel like shit if I don't want to, but so many people have those beliefs and they're so ingrained that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you think that, yeah, I'm going to work at, you know, the grocery store for the rest of my life and I'm not able to get a better job, then then yeah, you will because you're you're going to limit yourself through that limiting belief. Or maybe you think you're not worthy of having a better job because maybe when you were a kid, that's what, you know, maybe that's what your dad believed or what your dad told you. Or it's a, a lot of these really boiled down to things that I learned when I was really young. So these limiting beliefs can be uh, can be really tricky to deal with because we see them as real, we're dogmatically positioned to believing that this is the way reality is, and it can be so hard to break through that. I like to add on this uh, topic right now. There's actually what you guys are describing in at least statistical uh, jargon is what they call a heuristic, um, which is basically um, a belief that we create that uh, involves stereotyping or an intuitive judgment or common sense, right? Or rule of thumb, for instance, or they also call it um, wives' tales or something. So basically, uh, it was talked about in the book, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, uh, that as um, a coping mechanism for uh, evolutionary adaptation, our brains have developed mental shortcuts, which we call heuristics, um, in order to uh, make decisions quicker. And like, I mean, how many of you guys like have ever really tested uh, common sense type things that you've been taught in school or by your parents in a mathematical or, or scientific or statistical way? Like most of us don't really like go into the numbers, but we just take it for granted. We're like, 
okay, um, for instance, uh, brushing your teeth every day does uh, well for your teeth. I mean, I personally have never looked in research that suggested that does, um, but we just take that for granted and say that it does. Not that I'm saying it's not true, but... Uh, yeah, I, I still hope you brush yeah, your teeth. Yeah, well... Um, but but I yeah. get what you're saying, like like fluoride in the water. You know, we're t we're told that it's so good, but most people yeah, don't don't exactly. do the research yes. on the actual effects of mm -hmm. it. And then this is why we have these limiting beliefs uh, as well, because I mean, we just take words for granted and just kind of accept advice as we hear it, even though there <laughs> might not be a statistical or scientific backing for something. And you know, it's not that it's untrue, but that normally we actually don't analyze our beliefs as strongly as we'd like to believe. Well, um, I don't know about what your experience was growing up, but I know when I was younger, it was a very like, this is the way things are. Don't ask questions. Don't be a smart ass. Yeah, that is an easy out right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't say as far as a parent's perspective, I don't have kids, but some of my friends who have children, a lot of them just just get tired and they don't have the energy to deal with it. And so it's easy to just say, well, well, yeah, that that's the reason why. And, you know, just stop asking, asking questions here, play with the iPad. Uh -huh. And, you know, they may come to their own conclusions through that or, or find the, you know, what happens when these shortcuts that we create are not correct? What happens when they're, um, or they're, or they're given to us with malicious intent? Um, I think that we really do have to kind of deconstruct our beliefs to, and then rebuild them later on in life, just to kind of make sure that what we've been told is is what we identify with and what we believe. That's a, an amazing point, and it actually kind of begs the question: so, how how did you start questioning your beliefs? Like, does everyone here? kind of know when that started for them in their life and what was it what was the tipping point that made you say hmm maybe reality as i know it isn't the reality uh that is uh so as far as what initially started it um when i was going to college i actually skipped a year in elementary school i went from like kindergarten to first because they thought I was too advanced for kindergarten. Um, first was apparently too much socially uh, for me, so they put me back into kindergarten. However, when I did graduate and started first grade, uh, it was just, you know, I knew everything. So they put me up in second. And so I, I graduated uh, high school a year ahead. Uh, well, college was incredibly uh, too much to deal with. And I fell in with what I would call the wrong crowd, uh, and I had never been exposed to anything. I was like that uh, growing up. I was a very sheltered child. Um, I, I still got into trouble and, and whatnot, but I mean, I was I was very. I followed the rules. I was a little goody two shoes, yada yada yada, and I just was not prepared for the freedom that college brought. Um, part of that and uh, some other situations that happened, some experimentation with drugs, and just the the overwhelming freedom uh, led to an episode of psychosis. And I actually spent uh, several weeks in the hospital diagnosed with several different disorders and was put on a lot of medication. This was probably about nine years or so ago. 
um, I finally found uh, a doctor who would listen to me instead of just, you know, prescribing a pill and then going to the next patient. And when he found out that this had all stemmed after the uh, the drug experimentation, he th- said, well, well, you just kind of screwed up your brain chemistry, didn't you? And he said, why, why, don't we, uh, why don't we try weaning you off of this? And so with his help, I was able to come off the medication and resume a normal life. Um, because I, the, the medication that I was on was just, uh, it was constricting. Like, it, I was not the same person that I had been. It, it put me into a zombie-type state. And every time I went to the doctor... The way that they would check to make sure I was, quote, doing well was that I was functioning in society, you know, holding down a job, uh, going to sleep at a regular time, waking up at a regular time, eating three meals a day. And that was their their judge of whether the medication was working or not. So after being weaned off this medication, you know, I continued to do that. I continued to hold down a job. Uh, I have what I would consider a successful career now, have a house married, you know, no kids, but plenty of animals that we love. And I, w- I would say that I'm successful in, you know, living a, a stable life. So I don't think that mental illness, I think that it was a misdiagnosis. So from that point, it kind of, that was kind of the spark that led me to question things. And more so recently with the, uh, the election and everything that went on, I'm not going to get into that too much because we'll be here forever. But that really kind of got me digging deeper into what was being said, why it was being said, why these things were being said in the way that they were. And it just led me to a lot of uh, truth behind it that I felt was being obscured and for the wrong reasons. So that was kind of what brought me to my, I guess, quote, awakening. How about you, Kevin? Hmm. Well... I've always been a smart ass my whole life. So I think like questioning things has always been part of me. So, you know, I think the biggest thing that I've always uh, kept learning as I got older was that I don't know anything. Um, Case in point, uh, you know, I used to work in finance um, at an oil trading company and I had zero idea as to why the world worked as it did. Like, I'd say four or five years ago, I'm 28 now, um, I was working at uh, Hess Corporation, which is like a big oil company in America. And, um, you know, I had no idea why we were even like in Iraq or I didn't care. Um, I didn't care about any of the wars. Like I never really thought, I actually thought the government like had our best interests at heart. That's like how naive I was about that. Um, mostly because I never try to think about it, but I think after getting angry at like how a corporate structure worked and, um, you know, seeing that like hard work didn't really always, uh, end up, um, in promotions or, you know, career advancement that kind of made me a little disillusioned with the whole materialism surrounding finance. And then as I started getting more disgruntled, I started researching more and more about how our economic system works, about the Federal Reserve, um, you know, basic stuff that comes down to the banking system 
is pretty much robbing most of the country's uh, wealth in the form of debt. And uh, that's why I'm a big proponent of just uh, not caring about money in the sense that I don't try to let it control me. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, a really huge mental barrier for a lot of people is the kind of control money has over your mind. Definitely. Yeah, money's a, money's a big one. Definitely. Uh, Morris, did you want to talk about sure. it? Sure. Um, mine's pretty short. I think uh, what really... I guess if you want to use the the phrase waking up or whatever to, to to describe going from, you know, common sense to questioning things and start asking questions. Um, it was in university and I just, I remember I wasn't doing very well. Uh, I was really depressed. Um, there were a lot of signals in my life uh, that were pointing to uh, me not thriving. And uh, I, I, don't even want to go too much into what those signals were, but I remember reading my first self-help book and it was Psycho-Cybernetics. And I had never touched the self-help section in my entire life before because of all the stigma around around it, you know, oh, you don't want to be perceived as weak or, uh, you know, oh, it's just a bunch of woo-woo stuff. Like, that's what I had been told. And I remember after uh, reading Psycho-Cybernetics, I thought to myself, well, if I can influence my own life why am I so miserable? And that was a turning point because I decided to take responsibility for my feelings from that point on. Um, and then the rest is history, right? Like I started, uh, started seeking help, um, from lots of traditional means, CBT, psych psychotherapy, um, and psychiatry, which was not the greatest, um, through some untraditional means. NET was amazing. Uh, and, uh, the more I pulled out these limiting beliefs and the more I was able to, I guess, reprogram my mind, the better my life got. And also the reflections in the outside world were so clear that I knew I was doing something right. Like everything from the people I was spending my time with to even my physical appearance, like it's, it's comical how different I look now, uh, compared to how I looked then when, you know, I had like these dark circles under my eyes, my skin would break out a lot and really, um, just it, my life just started to blossom, I guess is the best way I can put it. Um, so of course I continue, uh, learning as much as I can about this stuff because it's just making my life better and I feel way more human. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I think this is a, uh, a great place to stop it since we've, we've covered a lot and maybe next episode we can get into some more of these methods to reprogram and rebuild. We, uh, we touched on a little bit with the, uh, identifying the limiting beliefs and the, uh, the NET, which, which sounds awesome by the way, <laughs> I'm definitely going to look into it. I, I don't know if there's an NET specialist down in my, my backwoods uh, town, but uh, definitely cool. I want to do some more reading on that. Uh, but, yeah, do you all have any final thoughts before we wrap up? I'm good. Um, I'll just mention that if you have a really strong belief in either direction, whether or not you are a believer in the system or you're against it or whatever, um, read anything that challenges your viewpoint that's like probably one of the best things I ever did because I wouldn't be having this conversation right now if I hadn't um 
embarked on reading things that I even was dismissive of uh, five years ago. For sure, yeah. Reading reading is fundamental, fundamental period. But yeah, especially just reading stuff that you don't agree with. And and for all those you know Christians uh, out there listening, I would encourage you to read about another religion, such as Hinduism or Buddhism, just to kind of see what those beliefs are. That doesn't mean they have to become your beliefs, but it's so good to just expose yourself to what else is out there, and you know, just find some find something that makes you uncomfortable and embrace it. Amazing. It's good advice, actually. Um, I I don't think we're all. Uh open-minded enough well hopefully we'll get there but thanks again guys i i really had a good time and uh good first episode hope to do it again soon thanks jc thanks Thanks, mars bye kevin bye jc take care see you guys Oh, you're so afraid.